Today's episode of Behind the Beverage is brought to you by BevSpot, empowering the global food and beverage industry with technology. By combining your restaurant's inventory and ordering data with beautifully designed, easy-to-use software, BevSpot can help you run a more efficient, more profitable business. Check them out today at BevSpot.com and schedule a consultation with one of their specialists to see how BevSpot can help you. That's BevSpot.com, B-E-V-S-P-O-T.com. Hey there, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Beverage, where every other week we present you with the interesting histories and backstories of just about everything in the world of spirits, wine, beer, and beyond. I'm your host, Trevor Bernacci, and this week we're brushing up our Spanish and going south of the border to track the history of tequila, the spectacular spirit that's responsible for centuries of amazing nights and horrible hangovers. I've got a fresh margarita by my side, so that means it's time to go behind the beverage. All right, all right, let's get down to it today with tequila. Now, I'm sure this episode is going to trigger a lot of bad memories for a lot of people out there, including myself somewhat, but I promise if you get to the end of this, you're going to have a very newfound respect for tequila and might even go buy yourself a bottle tonight. Who knows? Now, not many spirits have the same mystique and tall tales attached to them that tequila does, and existing for centuries will definitely help you develop a few tall tales and a bad reputation. Aside from always being associated with lime wedges, salt, and kitschy cocktails like the Tequila Sunrise, tequila is actually a very highly respected spirit in the world of bartenders and booze aficionados. It even sits on the same level as bourbon and scotch for a lot of bar professionals, and for good reason. Just like bourbon in the U.S., the tequila distilleries have a very strict set of rules to follow when creating their product. Making tequila really truly is an age-old art form. So, How did we get here today with tequila? Well, the story of tequila actually dates all the way back to the 14th century and really starts with the Aztecs. The agave plant, which is the main ingredient in modern-day tequila, was massively important to the Aztec people. Agave has really strong, fibrous leaves, which were perfect for weaving into rope and other fabrics. Not only that, but soon enough they were able to sort out how to turn the plant into alcohol, which... Any great civilization in the world has been able to figure out at some point. Now, I'm not saying they were producing the tequila that we drink today, but they were the first ones to start taking agave and fermenting its sap to produce what is called pulque. The finished product was a highly prized alcoholic but slightly milky liquid, and the Aztec civilization held pulque in such a high regard that they actually worshipped two gods that had a connection to the drink. I'm going to apologize for my pronunciations here, but Mayahuel was the goddess of the magui plant, which is a cousin of the blue agave needed to make tequila, and her husband, Petacatl, was the god of pulque itself. Now, because of its spiritual ties, pulque was only to be consumed by certain classes in the Aztec culture. Aztec priests would drink pulque to improve their enthusiasm, which not too different from why we drink tequila these days, and they would also give it to their sacrificial victims in order to try to ease some of their suffering. Now, if we flash forward a few hundred years, we see the Spanish conquistadors start to arrive on the doorsteps of the Aztec people. Now, much like the British sailors and their beer we talked about during the IPA episode last month, the Spaniards were hooked on brandy. By the time they landed in Mexico, they were all but out of their beloved booze and needed to find a way to keep that buzz going. 
Now, besides their wrath on the indigenous people and an unhealthy dose of disease from Spain, these adventurers also brought with them a primitive method of distilling spirits with mud stills. Thankfully for the Spanish, and for us still today, the locals in the area knew that the blue agave plant has leaves that contained high sugar levels that could be turned into alcohol. All the settlers needed to do at that point was figure out how to do it. Well, out of great need and desire comes ingenuity and invention, which seems like the invisible thread that ties a lot of these episodes together. And by experimenting with mud and agave, these Spaniards basically created mezcal. So really quickly, mezcal and tequila go hand in hand together in history. In fact, they share a very square rectangle relationship in the sense that all tequilas are technically mezcal, but not all mezcals are tequila. True, they are both made from agave, but where mezcal can be made from more than 30 different types of agave, tequila can only be made from the blue agave plant. Now, for many years, this new spirit was only enjoyed locally, and usually you'd have to travel to a distillery to even get a taste. By the time the mid-1500s rolled around, the Spanish government had opened up a trade route between Mexico and Manila in the Philippines. Now, quick geography lesson here, since some of you might be wondering about the logistics of how they were shipping things from Mexico to the Philippines. Well, thankfully for them, the state in Mexico where tequila originated, and where it has to be made to this day, we'll get more on that later, is located on the west coast of the country. So, this makes shipping across the Pacific a lot more feasible. Because of the growing demand for this new spirit overseas, in the early 1600s, the first large-scale tequila distillery was built near the modern town of Tequila, Jalisco, Mexico. For the next 100-plus years, tequila was being made in roughly the same way, a little bit more refined than when the Spanish settlers started producing it, but still a far cry from what we're used to today. In 1758, the Cuervo family set down their roots and started commercially producing tequila, and just over a hundred years later, in 1873, the Sousa family began doing the same thing. If those names don't sound familiar to you, then maybe you've never walked down the tequila aisle at your local liquor store. The story actually goes that Don Zenobio Sousa was the first person to truly identify blue agave as the best of the agaves when it came to producing tequila. And there were no laws in place then, like today, that stated you had to produce tequila with blue agave, but that period in time marks the changeover from the more primitive tequila into what we now know as the modern-day tequila that we love, or hate, I guess, depending on your tastes and preferences. Now that we're all caught up to modern-day tequila, it's probably a good time to talk about how tequila is actually harvested and produced. Although a lot of the process has been modernized, it's still a highly manual process to this day. The planting, tending, and harvesting are largely the most manual part of the process and are still done with centuries-old methods. The agave grow in nice, orderly rows for at least two years, but a lot of distilleries let them mature up to ten years or so. The average is about eight years, though. And once they reach the age of harvesting, a team of harvesters, or humidors, another name in tequila that really should probably ring a bell for some of you, they hit the fields to get cracking. Now, each humidor is equipped with a tool called a koa, which is really a flat, sharpened piece of steel at the end of a long wooden rod. So think of a kind of flattened out, knife-sharp garden hoe. And the agave plants can grow to anywhere between 80 and 300 pounds. That's huge. And they look like a massive succulent plant, so the koa are 100% needed for this job. And using their koas, the himidors hack each of the plant's leaves off one at a time. And when each agave can have up to 200 leaves per plant, this is no small task out in the hot, hot sun. And once all the leaves have been removed, all that's left is the heart of the agave plant. And this is called the piña because of its resemblance to a giant pineapple. 
Once they have all the leaves taken off the piñas, they're collected and then it's time to start making the tequila. The piña are piled into stone or stainless steel steam ovens, and try saying that ten times fast, and then they cook in there until the carbohydrates of the plant start to turn into fermentable sugars and soften the massive piñas. Now, During the extraction process, the piñas are crushed by a giant wheel that presses the sugary juices out and collects them for fermenting. Traditionally, the crushing of the piñas was done in a large stone vessel with a massive stone wheel. The wheel was powered by a horse or a donkey walking in a circle for hours on end, but nowadays most modern distilleries use mechanical crushers to ease the process. Now at this point, the juice, or aguamiel, is fermented much in the same way as beer, and the fermented liquid is what the distillers then use to produce the tequila. At that point, once the tequila's been distilled two to five times, it's time for the aging process to take place. Tequila is generally aged in three different styles, all characterized by their aging process. Blanco or silver tequila is generally bottled right after distillation, and it's the clear tequila we see on shelves. Reposado, which is Spanish for rested, actually is aged in used American oak barrels for about 2 to 12 months, which gives it that really light aged hue. And then Añejo is actually aged on those same wood barrels for anywhere from 1 to 3 years. Now, I'm sure I've cut a few corners here in describing this, but as you can tell, making tequila is a massively time-consuming process. It takes approximately 15 to 25 days to make a perfectly white, crystal-clear tequila, and that's after the 10 years it takes to grow some of the agave, and before the years it has to spend in barrel to age if you want to make a reposado or an añejo. Now, dropping back into our timeline, right around 1936, just a few years after drinking was legal in the U.S. again, a newspaper man brought his wife down to Tijuana for a quick little trip. While they were there, they paid a visit to one of the only bars surviving that was owned by an Irishman named Madden, who was known for a cocktail he called a tequila daisy. Now, even though Madden claims the invention of the drink was simply a happy accident, we're still loving the tequila daisy to this day, but you just might not know it. And that's because the Spanish word for daisy is margarita. Now, about 40 years later, in 1974, the Mexican government decided to claim tequila as the intellectual property of Mexico. Now, while this was essentially a move to take ownership of tequila fully, it actually helped with the guidelines of production and increased the quality of the finished product. Claiming tequila as intellectual property made it so tequila had to be produced and aged in a certain part of Mexico and also prevented other countries from producing anything that was labeled as tequila. At the same time, the Mexican government formed the Tequila Regulatory Council, which helped to maintain regulations, quality, and the culture of the spirit itself. Since tequila's been around for so long, a lot of the old family distilleries have since been sold off to larger corporate operations, but some have actually remained. And some may have sold their name decades ago, but have gotten back into the game with their own smaller labels. One of the best examples of this is Fortaleza, brought to us by the legendary Salsa family, getting back in the game. Nowadays, tequila is a huge business coming from a very small corner of the world. There are over 100 distilleries in operation that are producing tequila for over 900 different labels. Now you're saying to yourself, that doesn't add up right. Well, because of this, many different labels of tequila could actually be produced by the same distillery. Of course, to differing standards depending on the label. And each tequila label will be marked with a specific serial number called a gnome, that's N-O-M, in order to mark which distillery actually created that batch of tequila. So, if you have a bottle of tequila in your cabinet, pick it up, check it out on the back, it's going to have a gnome number on it, and you can actually look those up online to try to figure out where they are. 
Now, I know that tequila is a hot-button issue for a lot of people, but it really is so much more than the liquid regret some of us think of it as. As the native spirit of Mexico, tequila deserves the same level of respect that we give to bourbon or single malt scotch. So, the next time somebody offers you a margarita, paloma, or just a quick shot of tequila, remember all the centuries of history and work that went into getting that one and a half ounce pour into your hands before saying no. And that's how we got to where we are today with tequila. Now, I hope some of you listen to this and can actually find a new respect for the spirit. Maybe go out there, give it another chance after maybe a couple bad mornings after some really long nights. Now, before we finish up for the day, we're going to jump into our segment called Pro Tips and Fun Facts. All right, pro tip number one. Are you a fan of classic whiskey cocktails like the old-fashioned? Well, give your whiskey favorite a little shake-up by subbing the whiskey for Añejo tequila. They're usually aged in the same wooden barrels our favorite bourbons are aged in, and because of that, can work amazingly well in most cocktails that call for bourbon. Give it a try. You won't be disappointed, and you'll expand your horizons a little bit. Pro tip number two. Tequila isn't just for getting drunk and making bad decisions. Well, for most people. Next time you're planning on firing up the grill for some burgers or steaks, think about pairing those with a nice reposado or añejo tequila. The flavors coming from the oak aging in the tequila are perfectly suited for grilled meats or even fish. Drink it neat, on the rocks, or in your favorite tequila cocktail to take your summer grill outs or even winter roasts to the next level. Alright, fun fact number one about tequila. The agave plants used to make tequila only live one life. Once a piña has been harvested, it won't start growing back, which means the farmers will need to plant a fresh agave plant there and wait an average of eight more years to harvest from that same spot again. Such a labor of love that goes into each bottle of tequila. It's fascinating. And fun fact number two. This one threw me for a loop when I learned it, but agave is not a cactus. I honestly thought for years that agave was a type of cactus, but as with most things in life, I have been proven wrong. Agave is actually a desert succulent, and the closest tequila ever comes to having anything to do with cactus is if you happen to be drinking tequila near a cactus. And on that note, we've reached the end of today's episode. As always, thank you so much for joining us. We'll be coming at you with a brand new episode in just a couple of short weeks. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and on Spotify so you can always get updated on our latest episodes. In the meantime, keep those glasses full, have a great week, and we'll see you next time for another episode of Behind the Beverage. Behind the Beverage is brought to you exclusively by BevSpot. Visit them today at BevSpot.com to find out how their software can help you run a more efficient, more profitable restaurant. BevSpot, empowering the global food and beverage industry with technology. The Behind the Beverage theme song is written and performed by Ila Moana. Check them out anywhere you stream music, Ila Moana at Spotify, Pandora, or iTunes.